to Brain Mill Podcast. I'm Dash McIntyre. I'm Adrian Pope. And we have a lovely podcast today. We are going to go through Donald Trump's Twitter account and uh, do a little conversation on some of the things he has tweeted and retweeted. I will start off by saying I do not follow Donald Trump because he tweet storms a bunch of bullshit and it makes me mad to see it. Um, I, you don't follow him either, right? Yeah, I don't follow him specifically because I don't want him to have one more follower than he otherwise might have, <laughs> which is kind of funny because <laughs> yeah. you know he, like, first off, how many followers does he even have? So, okay, yeah, you know he has less followers than Barack Obama, and I'm sure some part of him hates that. So me not oh, yeah. following him makes me feel good that there's one less follower he's away from Obama yeah. because I do follow Barack Obama. Well, there's a big percentage of people, uh, sorry, a big percentage of his followers that are fake bots and not real. I forget, I think it was like 20% or 25% uh, at some point when uh, like somebody actually went through and investigated it. And like, yeah, large percent, of course, Donald Trump. You know, was that while he was running probably? Because I assume the actual president of the United States yeah. probably gets a lot of followers. I wonder if that was businessman right. Trump just wanting to look famous. Yeah, of course. He wanted to be higher than Obama, probably. But he's lower. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so first tweet, small businesses power our economy, and President Trump won't let them weather this alone. That's from the White House official account. What do you think about Donald Trump really looking out for the little guy? Well, I mean, first off, like the, you know, hasn't been agreed on yet, but their current Republican plan being proposed basically gives a lot of power to the Secretary of the Treasury to dole out that money. And it just makes you wonder, like, how many small businesses does he actually know about? Like, if you think of the tiny little restaurants in your town, like, how is that, like, who's going to know about them to give that money and dole it out? You know what I mean? Right. And I that pathway this doesn't exactly make sense to me. Right. I want to repeat this because, again, I repeated this on the last podcast, but Steve Mnuchin wants to personally dole out that money. And then in the Republican bill, it stipulates that you don't have that they don't have to disclose who they gave the money to for six months, because that is the best public use of our public tax dollars that uh, Republicans and Mitch McConnell could think up. We know what's really weird about that is why six months? Because that puts it in September, which is right before yeah. the election. Why didn't they just push it like eight months or something? You know what I mean? Um, probably just because by then everyone will have forgotten. Forgotten maybe about it's it. It's not right. even news, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Donald Trump has a good way of, you know, anytime really bad news starts coming up, you know, he intentionally does stuff um, to kind of change the subject so everyone forgets about it. And I, the biggest thing that pissed me off was when he started calling it the Chinese virus. Literally, the media was, like, setting him up for it. They're like, it's not the Chinese virus. Don't say it. He's going to say it. And then, of course, Donald Trump said it. And then we spend two days, you know, in the media having to cover, oh, he said the coronavirus. He said the coronavirus was the Chinese virus or the Kung flu. Is this racist? And it's like, no, why don't we stay? Of course, Donald Trump is going to say something racist. The news is not that he did. The news is that he's bungling every aspect of the coronavirus yeah. response. And when the media talks about dumb little racist things that obviously Donald Trump is going to say, it really is a disservice to, uh, you know, uh, you know, people who want to stay informed. And, you know, certainly, you know, for all the claims that the media is liberal bias, you know, you need all of these moderate voters to hear over and over that Donald Trump is making this worse and he's 
bungling every aspect of the pandemic response to the point where he doesn't even want Dr. Fauci on TV behind him because (laughs) Dr. Fauci keeps saying this is worse than like Donald Trump is making it out to be and that we need to do more dramatic uh, kind of uh, uh, policies and quarantine efforts to combat this. So, I mean, just stay on message. Donald, you know, it's like throwing out a dog whistle. It's just turning everyone's head. It's so dumb. Well, it's really another reason why it's so dumb is it's not particularly useful. Like, it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world to highlight the fact that it came from China. However, it is not useful to worry about that right now. You know what right. I mean? Um, yeah. Furthermore, if if that's what your messaging is going to be about, because you know a lot of the conservatives, I mean, it's so transparent, is that they're basically calling it the Wuhan and Chinese virus to basically highlight the fact that this is not Trump's fault, it's not America's fault, it's China's yeah. fault, and ignoring the fact that Trump's response has been so bad, <laughs> yeah. it is his fault. You know what I mean? Right. Ignoring yeah. the fact that now, even though it started, the epicenter was in China, that America's cases are now, you know, it's kind of, America's eclipsing China and Italy as the worst affected, you know, uh, countries. But on a side note, real quick, because I was uh, reading this, you know, some of the Trump supporters on Twitter were and Fox News were saying like, oh, we call it the Spanish flu. What's the problem with saying where it came from? But apparently uh, the Spanish flu probably did not originate in Spain. Interestingly enough, I actually saw it. There's a uh, I was reading Wikipedia the other day. There's a couple theories of it started in like a military camp in Kansas, like America, or, you know, uh, there's some theories that it may have started in military camps in Britain. But basically, it's called the Spanish flu because Spain, as an independent, uh, or rather, uh, uh, what's the term when you're not fighting in the war? You're uh, non belligerent. Kind of like. Yeah, non-belligerent in World War One, Spain's media actually did more commentary and coverage of the flu, whereas all the countries in the war were downplaying and hiding aspects of uh, the flu uh, epidemic because they didn't want to, you know, demoralize the country or the troops. Well, that's and just so it's right, ironic yeah. that it's called the Spanish flu. It's just that's, you know, they were the only country that didn't have to report on war stuff, so they actually weren't lying about the flu. And they were the first country to, more importantly, take it seriously and treat it like how it was, you know, treat right. it like what it was. Right. Um, so, yeah, anyway, uh, let's see. Donald Trump's next tweet. Price transparency is so important for the people of our country. Country capitalized. Always weird capitalization with him. Uh, in many ways, it will prove to be as important as healthcare itself. A great issue for both Republicans and Democrats. Hopefully, it will be approved. I mean, that's not in- inherently a bad idea, right? Price transparency and uh, like general healthcare uh, context. Well, it's a little ironic because nothing about Trump's transparent, right? I mean, he's classifying yeah, documents that don't need to be classified. Right. He's lying about meetings. That he took wants place. to hide where the Republican bailout money goes for six months. Exactly. <laughs> Hammer that in. That yeah. pisses me off so well, much. Well, he's not transparent with his taxes, where he gets his money from. You know, he's not transparent <laughs> right. with anything. So His health records. Yeah. Donald Trump is the most fit president to ever take office. That's so dumb. That dumb yeah. letter that his doctor wrote, like, yes. in a car. <laughs> like, yeah. not even in an office or something like that. Um, so let's see. Donald well, here, Trump says our people... Oh, go ahead. You have another comment? I was going to say, it's. Uh, I just found an interesting tweet, kind of what you are talking about the last podcast. Donald Trump says, uh, eight hours ago, this is not about the ridiculous Green New Deal. It is about putting our great workers and companies back to work. 
I mean, yeah. is this a good opportunity for Democrats to try to get at least a little something what they want? Uh, you know, if Republicans are going to give $500 billion away to the biggest companies that don't need it or, you know, don't deserve a right. bailout, but have, you know, basically mismanaged themselves so much they need it. Well, why can't the Democrats do something to, I don't know, help the world and more importantly, the environment and the country and all Americans? Right. And as a thought experiment, you know, Republican uh obstruction really you know definitely made things worse in the great recession and slowed and weakened the uh kind of economic comeback let's do as a thought experiment let's say it's um it's paul ryan or john boehner that own the house or control the house um and then mitch mcconnell in the senate and obama is president right now do you think that that do you think that the tea party in the house and then of course mcconnell in the senate um, do you think that they would what, or what how do you think they would react to Obama as president saying we need to do more we need to have a big sweeping you know emergency relief plan how do you think they the Tea Party under Republican control in the House would have reacted to Obama saying we need to send every American two thousand dollars right because Trump said that right well it's interesting right because in two that the bailouts under Obama right only passed you know they they specifically lowballed the number that a they wanted and b what all the economists were telling them because they knew that any more money would not be approved by anybody and and, and Obama right. at the time needed two Republicans to jump ship right so like you know he basically sabotaged what his own economic advisors were telling him because he knew the Republicans wouldn't play ball which I mean tells you a lot right there uh, so here right. we are in another situation if it was a Democratic president you know in an election year no less right that was the beginning of Obama's term imagine Mitch McConnell in 2016 you know March of 2016 if this began then what Mitch McConnell would be doing to try to hamper Obama and hurt Hillary Clinton's chances of winning election you know what I mean right definitely um, let's see. Congress must approve the deal without all of the nonsense. Today, the longer it takes, the harder it will be to start up our economy. Our workers will be hurt. It's almost like propaganda the way he's always talking about workers. Because, yeah. I mean, with, with the Republican plan, like, the bailout goes to, like, the companies themselves. And there's, like, literally, there's no teeth to it that says you have to, like, you have to keep... Uh, paying your workers who maybe aren't working or staying at home. You have yeah. to keep doing benefits. Like, there's just no teeth. So it's like literally like uh, propaganda to, to claim that, you know, Trump's worried about the workers. I mean, like, are the, uh, are the, um, car or the cruise line, the cruise line, uh, cruise ships industry, are they going to keep hiring all of these, you know, uh, first off, let's talk about that because the cruise lines, they don't hire you know, Americans. Of, yeah, they don't hire <laughs> Americans and they're technically not American companies because they fly their ships under like flags of Panama or the Bahamas or, or different like, countries yeah, so different that countries. they don't have to do our labor. They don't have to abide by our labor laws or pay they different don't pay tax, taxes. taxes. Yeah. So why, why should we bail them out anyway? And second off, a lot of people have noted that like the cruise line industry is actually really bad because all of those cruise ships were all these people people are in close quarters for an extended period of time it's like it's like the opposite of a quarantine where you're staying away from people you're like you know it's literally a petri dish for everyone's germs that everyone will get so like from a health standpoint it's a really bad idea to do and it's just you know again like your cruise line industry you need a bailout because of two bad months of you know economic downswing do you (laughs) deserve to stay in business 
I mean, with all of the corners that they cut of having like essentially like slave labor or, you know, not slave labor, but let's say sweatshop labor to yeah. be a little, a little more, uh, you know, kind to them. But I mean, it's still, it's not really American, uh, labor and it's not, it's certainly not American labor standards that are abided by. Oh, yeah, for sure. And plus, like, look at the way the tweet's written, too. It says, Congress must approve the deal with all, without all the nonsense today. The longer it takes, the harder it will yeah. be. This is real rich coming the from the president. Was, yeah, oh, the nonsense was... Reminder that the nonsense uh, includes, you know, that Donald Trump would take some of that bailout money to back up yeah. his failing hotels and golf courses. Yeah. But also, I do like that because Donald Trump's uh, businesses are failing. But I think it's so it's such funny, like everything else with projection. How um, like I read the uh, New York Times; they have a giant list of everything Trump has uh, insulted on Twitter, like uh, every person, country, inanimate object, oh, and it's funny. just so hilarious to go through and read them all. Because like the amount of things that Donald Trump calls failing, <laughs> you know, actors, news organizations, companies with CEOs that uh, you know say something. Bad about him but mm-hmm. it's so funny that like you know his uh his uh, resorts and stuff have bed bugs his restaurants are going out of business his hotels never have full uh you know never even come close to full occupancy um it's it's just funny projection to me that he always you know he accuses everybody else of failing all the time <laughs> yeah i mean it's par for the course for you know the man who has actually failed at literally everything in life right Um, Then he says, this is not about the ridiculous Green New Deal. It is about putting our great workers, again, that kind of propaganda, our great workers and companies, all caps, back to work. Which, you know, say what you will about Democrats putting that stuff in there, but I don't know. I mean, I guess Democrats, you know, should use this leverage. Donald Trump needs the deal more than they do in a purely cynical approach to this, uh, the kind of how the sausage gets made in Congress. You know, with this deal, it's, you know, you know, Donald Trump's president. He's the great deal maker, he says. So, I mean, definitely Democrats have leverage to, you know, get things that, you know, obviously Mitch McConnell is never even, you know, Democrats have passed, you know, dozens of bills there, you know, Mitch McConnell won't even pick up out of his inbox, you know. Well, think of it big picture, too, because, like, uh, criticizing the Green New Deal, that's, like, the fastest-growing economic industry in the country with, you know, hundreds of thousands of jobs. So how come they don't get a bailout, first off? Second off, like, if you're going to bail out, like you said, the uh, cruise co- uh, cruise companies that don't even pay taxes to America and don't even hire Americans— why would you bail them out and not green tech companies in America hiring Americans and helping you know the environment and then more importantly also helping the economy as a whole? It's it's so ludicrous. Right. Yeah. Um, let's see. Donald Trump retweeted. I don't know some some random person. Who knows? Uh, hey, at the Democrats, what does the Kennedy Center have to do with COVID nineteen? Asking for three hundred and twenty seven million friends. And I guess that's kind of along the same lines that Democrats are extracting things. However, you know, I haven't seen the Democratic proposal on this, but I'm just ballpark guessing that the amount of money that the Democrats have given to the Kennedy Center have is like nowhere near a percentage point of the amount of money that, you know, Steve Mnuchin wants to use as a personal slush fund to dole out to corporate friends and, uh, you know, campaign donors and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, we... I'm imagining Democrats don't want to give the Kennedy Center a $500 billion bailout. And not Just, tell anybody again, for six months. It. 
Right. Yeah. And then not tell anybody how much they spent, you know, gave them. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, here's Donald Trump on his Twitter saying, buy this book and give Liz some great reviews. Liz Wheeler, I guess, on that One America News Network. She's got a book. I think this is a this is kind of a constitutional offense, isn't it? You're, the, the president can't use his, Well, like, you know, let's talk about this because this is Donald Trump's personal account, right? It's mm -hmm. not the official President Trump yeah. Twitter account. But I mean, he's still using it. And then, you know. He's always, you know, even from the podium with the presidential seal, he's always talking about people's books they should buy, companies that they should go to, companies they should not go to, you know, anytime someone, anytime he gets some criticism. Um, it is just funny, like, you know, you know, Twitter, when it got started, I remember a lot of people talking about, you know, oh, you know, before you really knew what Twitter was, a lot of people were tweeting things they probably shouldn't have been, given that now it has become kind of like an official record. You know, Twitter and Facebook are kind of like official, almost like public forums in many ways. Uh -huh. But it is kind of funny because obviously, you know, Obama never did shit like this. But to see like Trump be a yeah. kind of digital presidency, but in a very kind of immature, not long term thinking way, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of immoral or. <laughs> yeah, arguably <laughs> immoral. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly unethical. Uh, uh, in a, a very, yeah, he's using social media in a very abusive power kind of way. <laughs> Right. Here's an interesting. So uh, G Donald Trump retweeted James Woods, who basically made a comment about leftists using pretext of coronavirus to push unsecure vote by mail, free for all, no voter ID anywhere for 2020 elections. And, and he retweeted James Woods tweet that said, voter fraud by Democrats is the second most dangerous thing to happen to America since the virus. Is that like ever? What, like, is that more you, dangerous yeah, than right. Pearl Harbor? Is it? But I mean, what, like, what are your thoughts on the mail-in ballots? Where, well, first where, off, what do you think? Do you, what do you think of potential challenges or benefits? Well, first off, it's like you know, is this really a leftist thing, or are states that are trying? Because states run elections, right? They run polling places, and they're basically conducted at the the localest of levels, right? You go to somewhere in your city to vote. So if coronavirus is so bad. And they don't want it to spread. Well, they need a new solution. And, you know, you know, for people who like states' rights, you would think that the states wanting to do things the way they want to do them, you know, you wouldn't that wouldn't be like a huge leftist conspiracy, you know? Well, do you think that it, they are? What do you think about the challenges of keeping them like a cheat proof? Because, I mean, already, let's let's be honest, Republicans do that. Uh, a little bit more. <laughs> the Republicans seem to get caught with fraud more than Democrats, ironically, considering how much more Republicans are always accusing Democrats of fraud. But I mean, how, I guess I guess the challenge would be people just going in and like grabbing people's mail, which I guess, you know, it's a federal crime. But if you go and steal people's mail in ballots and then fill them out yourself and send them, you know, I guess what's what, what are some challenges or, you know, something to deal with that? Well, first off, I guess if you were caught, you know, like you said, it's a federal offense, it's a crime. Um, on the other hand, it's like, um, what are you going to do, right? I mean, people have to vote. And, you know, what is an election if, you know, 60% of people stay home because they're afraid of coronavirus spreading, you know what I mean? Right. 
Uh, well, be- I guess there should also be some kind of digital way where you can see, you can check to see that your vote got counted. And I don't, how would that work, though? I mean, would you have to like log in to like see to make sure that like your vote got counted? You could see that you voted for Trump, or you could see you voted for somebody else. But obviously, it couldn't be like a big public thing. You don't want, you know, who everybody voted for on some giant public forum that you'd write in your name and well, it could it be tells like, you, right? Well, I recently got the census thing in the mail, and it goes to your address with a code you log on the internet for. And, you know, granted, people probably aren't going to steal other people's census stuff. But, you know, there are some things they could do where, like, if you get a letter that says, in a month, you'll vote with this code... Um, presumably, if you never got the letter, you could report it. Presumably, if you logged in and someone had already used the code, you know there'd been cheating or someone had stole your code. Um, I mean, there's multiple ways to do it. You know what I mean? Like you could, they could send out letters like a month ahead of time saying, "Go online if you want to vote and set up an account with a password." And then on voting day, you would just sign in. That way, you know, presumably after a month or, you know, I'm just spitballing here an idea, but I mean, there's ways they can make it more secure than less secure. Um, And you need people to vote, right? We live in a democracy. So, I mean, the most important thing is, you know, obviously voting. Right. Yeah, definitely. Especially in a presidential election year. You know, what we're really talking about here is November. Um, I mean, if you don't vote for a president, like you literally don't have a president because the president and vice president's terms end you know, at a certain time. Right. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I mean, certainly it's a problem. It needs to be solved. And I guess, yeah, verdict's still out on that one, I guess, in terms I mean, what of do you uh, think? how effective I mean, or common it'll be. I don't know. I'm just worried about, you know, if, how you keep it from being, you know, hackable, I guess, both physically and digitally online. But I also don't know enough maybe to really have that strong of an opinion either way. Um, but just an interesting kind of topic to bring up. Yeah. Here's one. It's a uh, Trump. Uh, let's see. Somebody retweet or somebody tweeted about her dad who died. Kind of a nice little thing about her dad. And then uh, you know Trump retweeted it. A respected coal miner and great dad. Rest in peace. I don't know who this woman is or how Trump knows her. Who knows? Whatever. Uh, but it is interesting to me because I, you know, Donald Trump. It seems never misses a chance to pander to coal miners. And it's just kind of interesting that, you know, in general, no offense to, you know, any of these people that I don't know in this tweet, but it is interesting to me that, like, coal miners have such an outsized political effect on our elections based on, you know, Republicans accusing Democrats of, you know, hating coal miners and coal miners just wanting their jobs, you know, job security. And it just seems like, you know, every time Republicans are, like, defending coal miners and wanting to help out the coal industry, it's usually usually to cut red tape and regulations that, you know, tends to keep those coal miners alive and have benefits <laughs> from their companies who are cutting every corner they can as they extract as much money out of, you know, the resource that is coal before obviously our economy switches away from coal forever. So well, what's funny is looking at this tweet, <laughs> the first thing that comes to my mind is I wish he would tweet like this more often rather than just tweeting right, fake yeah. news and lies. But it's also kind of interesting as I'm going through his tweets, that's a, you know, that tweet is really nice and considerate and thoughtful, but it has far fewer likes, uh, comments, and retweets as most of Trump's other tweets around it. 
<laughs> yeah. Isn't that kind of weird? It's not vitriolic. Yeah. It <laughs> yeah. It's a not vitriolic. Weird. It's not criticizing, accusing, or spreading fake news and lies. And right. it's not nearly as popular a tweet as Trump's other tweets. <laughs> but it's funny, too. Let's say this woman was a Democrat and then, like, criticized. Let's say she tweeted back, um, you know, maybe you should focus more on, you know, coronavirus or something like that, you know, instead of retweeting my video to pander to my family or something like that. How. How quickly and how many tweets do you think Trump would send to her, you know, <laughs> you know, insulting her? <laughs> well, it's like you know? how many times did Trump tweet, if that were to happen, how many times did Trump tweet about that Gold Star mother? You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, the Khan family, himself. right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Let's see. I see that voter fraud tweet there. Well, here's one. Um, here's... Go ahead, yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, Trump tweeted, the world market for face masks and ventilators is crazy. We are helping the states to get equipment, but it is not easy. Just got 400 ventilators for New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio. Work beginning on four hospitals in New York. Millions of different items coming. It, it, it's just frustrating because, like, two months ago, if Trump had acted, you know, you, you could have a company like 3M making hundreds of thousands of ventilators uh, a week. And, and, and we're, right. you know, championing a win of getting 400 ventilators for one city in America. Like, that's not yeah. a win. I mean, it, it's that's good for the city, obviously, uh, but it's not a win nationwide that one city got 400 ventilators. You know what I mean? If yeah, they're talking right. about 3 million people maybe dying of coronavirus, 400 right. extra ventilators is going to help a lot of people comparatively. Especially because New York is kind of like the epicenter of it in America. So, yeah, 400, you know, when they have, you know, thousands of cases at this point and then, you know, tens of thousands more of unconfirmed cases because there's not enough tests. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then work beginning on four hospitals in New York. Again, what about the rest of the country? Trump could be mandating or spending money to build, you know, you know, impromptu hospitals around the country because, you know, New York's hit pretty bad. But so is California and Washington and Oregon, you know. Um, right. It just seems like too little, uh, way too late. Yeah. Uh, Especially here's, here's bragging about on social media. Right. Here's a tweet. Uh, he retweeted someone calling, uh, accusing Rachel Maddow of having Trump derangement syndrome. I, I, I've been intrigued by that because it, it kind of goes both ways. Like Trump derangement syndrome is, you know, uh, Trump fans uh, accuse liberals of having that, of being mm -hmm. deranged about anything with Trump. But it kind of goes both ways because, I mean, Trump fans are themselves kind of derangedly, uh, uh, you know, pa with Pavlovian insistence, um, you know, saying, you know, as much as they can that Donald, you know, literally saying, I don't care if Trump bungled the coronavirus, you know, pandemic response. He's still not president. It, yeah. You know, things like that. <laughs> well, it's um, funny because they Republicans do this a lot where they act like any one negative thing about any Republican, you know, it's the, it's the same way they look at, like, uh, welfare, right? They say, well, if one person's cheating Social Security, we should get rid of it. One person's cheating food stamps, we should get rid of it. Right. They think that if, like, one, if, if their president is wrong about one thing, he might as well be wrong about everything. And it's like, that's not how, you know that works yeah you know and let's oh. talk about i mean like things like food stamps you know oh one poor mother bought herself a steak on her birthday with food stamps and is getting this luxurious meal on our dime you know mm -hmm. how does that compare to this 500 billion dollar slush fund you know 
the 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 welfare is really with rich people in America. It's like we throw we throw like handfuls of dollars at poor people in America, but we throw handfuls of like million dollar bills at you know rich people. Well, take it to the extreme, right? So if you're gonna say people on food stamps should be eating like shit all the time because they don't deserve it, then what do you say to a CEO of a company that's worth tens of billions of dollars that needed a bailout? Like, are you yeah. gonna say that that CEO needs to get paid what his lowest worker gets until he fixes the mess, you know, until he picks himself up by his bootstraps? Like, why should a CEO needing a bailout get paid more than you know the you know the median yeah, wage of the exactly, company? Exactly right. You know. Yeah, that's totally true. I think about that a lot because I love the idea that it's like you know if we raise taxes on the rich, you know, I, I think I did a couple articles on the Halfway Post about that where it's like here's suggestions for rich people. You you know when their taxes get increased <laughs> yeah. and it's things like oh you know do you need both uh you know hulu disney plus and netflix maybe you should cut those out maybe you should stop eating out so much maybe bring a paper bag lunch <laughs> you know yeah. to work instead of going out and it's so funny when you put it in those terms because it's like just ludicrous to the you know these people who are you know a billionaire who has a higher tax rate to say hey maybe you should stop paying 15 dollars a month on netflix and you won't you know the the, the tax uh, increase won't won't hurt you so bad you know maybe you should bring sack lunches you know it's just so ludicrous you know but that's the, that's the kind of thing that they say all the time you know all these minimum wage workers you know who will never get a raise from their company and boss unless the government literally forces them to you know to say oh here's ways that like people living below the poverty line can save you know like twenty dollars a month or something Mm-hmm. You know, oh, stop doing Netflix. The only joy in your, 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 your life, in your life stricken with poverty, you know? Well, and it, it's so weird, too, because, like, I'm, I mean, think of all the welfare that they complain about and stuff. And I'm looking at this. It says SNAP, which is food stamps, costs the federal government $68 billion for a year. But it also feeds, you know, millions of people and probably more importantly, uh, a lot of children below poverty line. You know what I mean? <laughs> So that's 68 billion years, you could argue, is probably well spent. And then, you know, the government at the same time right now is talking about giving $500 billion uh, lump sum to the biggest companies in America who need bailouts. Like, you know, you're just talking about how much little money they spend on poor people versus rich people. I mean, this is like in a week, you know, companies get $500 billion versus poor people below the poverty line getting $68 billion over the entire year to pay for food which right, only yeah. which they only are on snap and 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 uh, food stamps because those companies getting bailouts don't pay a lot of their workers very well right yeah it, yeah it's that and this is one thing that I always think about. It's like with the tax rate, people hate the taxes, but it's like billionaires have to pick one. All these like mega rich robber barons, they need to pick one. Either you have low taxes and you pay your employees better, or if you're refusing to pay your employees, you have to have higher taxes to pay for the benefits that they need to live. And it just, it bothers me so much that, you know, especially things like these tax cuts, like the tax cut every time Republicans pass it, but specifically this last one that Trump 
Trump did. You know, the whole onus on uh, getting the tax cut was that you would then trickle down and give your employees bonuses and, you know, you would hire more people, open new plants, start new businesses, but it just didn't happen. That's what Republicans say every time. And instead, they buy back their stock to inflate their stock value in a, you know, a couple companies like threw a couple bones, like Walmart gave like a one-time bonus to their employees or something like that. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, there's a couple like random Like pennies on things. the dollar of the bailout. Yeah, right. Or the, the and, tax cut. Yeah, and it just bothers me so much because, you know, our, the greatest economic boon uh, boom in American history up until I guess this you know semi speculative fake one that we're seeing now implode um, that you know Trump has taken credit for. But in, after World War, World War II and the Depression, you know we had this massive boom and the tax rate was ninety percent. And it's like you know none of, none of those companies and rich people really paid a full ninety percent. What they did is they used the accounting to like funnel that money into their businesses to make their businesses stronger and make their employees happier and so it's like it's not about just stealing 90 percent of all of the you know personal money that ceos make and companies make it's that that high tax rate forces them to have a lower profit margin in their companies but only because they're investing so much of that money in their companies to avoid giving it to the government the government doesn't just start making you know getting all that money they do all kinds of funny ways to avoid giving that money to the government but in ways that help their workers and you know that's the actual trickle down is like you have to spend this money on your employees as a business expense or then we tax it you know oh i agree um here's something i just kind of found out that's kind of interesting going along with that is that uh i didn't know this how many people were on food stamps but uh for snap uh the program gives money to upwards of 45 million people a year now first thing is you know how many unemployed people are there uh, not that many. So that tells you there are literally tens of millions of people getting food stamps who have jobs. What does that inherently imply? That their companies are paying them so little they qualify for food stamps. I don't think, uh, you know, maybe this is very Bernie Sanders of me, but I think if you're employed with a job, maybe you shouldn't be eligible for food stamps year after year after year. You know yeah. what I mean? And honestly, I think, I mean, Democrats should do this when they get in power next. They should do something like you get no tax breaks whatsoever if even one of your employees is getting money from the government, right? Why yeah. should the government lose twice, you know, give you a tax break and lose out money from taxes that the government could get while spending some of that money, again, that they're not making from the company getting these tax breaks. Uh, they're spending it to give these benefits to people who don't make enough from their jobs to live or to feed their children like well, there, yeah. there needs to be there needs there start need, there uh, there needs to start being teeth to everything that we do in economic policy because you know it's like we're all this time we've been you know under the illusion that oh yeah everyone will do what's right if we give all these big rich companies and people you know these tax cuts and incentives and put in all these loopholes for them to not have to spend money it'll help the workers but it never does well, um, yeah, I mean, clearly the workers aren't being helped if they're on food stamps. And it's funny because people say our taxes are too high. We need to cut taxes. The government's too big. And it's like you could make the case that the only reason 
the government is so big, taxes are so high, and government spending is so high is because the government is working to help people against everyone trying to keep them down in their lives from their company, you know, the companies, corporations not paying them anything, not giving them raises, not giving them bonuses. Because if, if you're an hourly worker and you do not get a 2% raise, you are losing money year after year. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Fed you're getting, tries. You're literally getting pay decreases essentially every yeah, the year. Fed, the Fed's goal, their stated public goal is to have 2% inflation a year. So if you think about that, like the minimum wage hasn't gone up in like 10 years, right? You know, it's gone up right. in certain states, but the federal minimum wage for a lot of people in a lot of states hasn't changed. So that means if it's been 10 years, you are getting less than, you know, you're making more than uh, 10% less per year than you were. And that's why there's so much welfare. And that's why welfare goes up is if you're yeah, making that's a great point. Yeah. Because I mean, imagine making what is it, seven fifty federal right now? Something yeah, like that. Yeah, seven fifty. Yeah, so if it's seven fifty ten years ago, and it's seven fifty now. Well, inflation's hit like thirteen percent since then. You're getting thirteen percent less money. Meanwhile, because inflation has gone up, you're getting less money, and also things cost more. Hence, why right. you know people going on welfare goes up, and that's where your tax dollars are going to. Yeah, I mean, it's and speaking ludicrous. of uh, speaking of unemployment benefits, you know, Trump is literally trying to block, you know, states from reporting how many people now are going on to unemployment from losing their jobs and or, you know, not getting work for this quarantine period. Um, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? As usual, Trump is, you know, maybe not the most transparent person. Well, yeah, this is really interesting coming from Trump, who during 2016, remember, he told everybody, right. every job, every monthly jobs report that, oh, I've heard that unemployment's <laughs> not, you know, 7%, it's upwards of 25%. And it's like, okay, mm -hmm. really? <laughs> I mean, so the transparency from this government is uh, kind of, uh, you know, leaving something to be desired, especially when the president is saying he's the most transparent president ever. Right. I mean, yeah. is there any good reason why the government shouldn't report job losses? I mean, think of it think of it this way, no company could do that. You could not be a publicly traded company under the, you know, the regulation of the SEC and not report stuff like that. You couldn't report, right. you know, you couldn't hide those reports and still be a publicly traded company that can do anything, you know, in the the corporate space, you know, nationally, internationally. It you know, it'd be a pariah of a company. And now here we have a pariah of a president basically saying, "We don't need to report all this stuff." And if you right. don't have information as a voter, how do you, you know, how do you vote? You know what I mean? If the right. government's lying to you, hiding stuff, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know, embarrassing. It's incredibly fascist is what it is. Because, I mean, like everything, you know, Trump didn't, you know, Trump wanted a citizenship question on the census so that a lot of, uh, you know, immigrants with uh, maybe illegally, uh, you know, uh, immigrated uh, family members won't be counted and that way um, you know you can manipulate where the state money goes where and uh, you know even to the point where like Republican states like Texas that have a large immigrant population you know they were willingly being they were willing to be negatively affected by the census because Texas's uh, population would artificially seem lower than it really is making yeah. Texas get less money from the government because it's a smaller percentage of the population and less funds get distributed to it but it's the same thing with trump um you know lying about coronavirus stuff now that's like just the hallmark of a fascist uh kind of uh, authoritarian leader that wants to literally hide any evidence that makes them look bad um and then let's see here's a tweet from ben shapiro that donald trump retweeted 
Ben Shapiro says, Blaming Trump for someone ingesting fish tank cleaner is a new level of Trump derangement syndrome. See, that's kind of interesting because Donald Trump was literally touting publicly these, um, what would you call them, like chemicals or different uh, schemes that could maybe be used yeah, as a coronavirus killer. Like malaria drugs right. or something. And so he was literally saying that, and he was getting upset with Dr. Fauci and some of his medical health experts, right? The actual people who know what they're talking about, that they were saying, no, you can't just start giving like malarial drugs and, you know, expect that it'll help out, you know, it'll cure coronavirus without, you know, at least months to a year, year and a half of trials to make sure that you're not actually going to kill people and make them worse because, you know, who the fuck knows how these random chemicals will uh, interact with the other symptoms and or the virus or whatever, you know. There's well, here's a, there's an interesting thing about that. Uh, I just thought of a really good point. Is think of, like, you know, when you're president, you are going to lead to some people dying, right? Um, especially in the war on terror, right? You authorize military strikes, you, you know, drone strikes, etc. Um, but has there ever been a president who has, like, directly influenced uh, regular Americans to go out and die, like Trump did by tweeting that fake medicine? There are people who've taken that yeah. drug and literally gone to the hospital and died of poisoning. And it's like, has a, pre- a right. U.S. president ever just basically, uh, I don't know, convinced Americans to do something that immediately kills them? It's kind of very <laughs> yeah. strange if you think about <laughs> that it. That is screwed up, yeah. But Remember they were complaining Benjamin- that Obama had a drone strike against an American uh, American citizen who, uh, who joined ISIS or whatever? And then, you know, because he was an actual, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, terrorist who joined a terrorist organization, Obama authorized, you know, a drone strike to kill him. And then Republicans were up in arms and conservatives. They were angry that the, you know, how could the government authorize the killing of a U.S. citizen? It's like Trump literally just told people to go eat poison. And they did. (laughs) And it's like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. But it's stupid because they call, you know, Ben Shapiro is calling it Trump derangement syndrome. Like, no, that's a real thing. Medical experts were telling Trump, no, we can't say that. No, you can't do that. We don't recommend people doing that or trying things on their own. Like, it's how is that derangement syndrome? No, that's a fact that Trump touted a cure that wasn't really a cure and people died. Yeah. (laughs) It's absurd. (laughs) Yeah. Um, let's see. So uh, here's a Hill-Harris X approval rating for Trump. I guess the Hill did a poll, and I don't know how accurate this is. 61% approve of his handling of coronavirus. 39% disapprove. Um, granted, the Hill is kind of right-leaning. I'm not sure about their polling, but granted, if Trump is touting it, it's probably an outlier. <laughs> just, just my guess. You know, It's probably an outlier that makes him look extra good. Um, What's well, scary 60- because it kind of shows like how few people are watching the news because Trump is actually right. personally getting on the news every single day and, and speaking nonsense. Um, so it's yeah. sad that if people are following the news, I mean, maybe right. they're not and that's a problem. But Trump has been very in the news and it's pretty much all yeah. been negative. Taking it as real, supposing 61%, you know, saying this is accurate, 61% of people, you know, that means that people get, see Trump go on television and now are more approving of his job as president <laughs> since seeing the uh, his response to the coronavirus. 
That's well, I mean, we'll see thought. what happens if, you know, I mean, so far, coronavirus has been pretty mild here. Granted, we're still early on in the contagion process. So, I mean, we'll see what people right. think in a week or two. If the exponential growth is kind of going where it's kind of headed the last couple of weeks, right. then, you know, we'll see what people think of the country's response in, in, in a month or two yeah. months from now. But it's just sad. I mean, like, shit is about to hit the fan. Like, these next two weeks are going to be dramatically worse than anything that we've seen. And obviously, right now, it's, you know, it's not so bad. So you have all these, you know, big high profile, like, spring breakers not stopping. You have all these big churches saying, oh, yeah, still come here. Shake hands with your neighbors. Yeah. You know, we, we believe God will save, you know, God won't <laughs> let us in church get yeah. the coronavirus. So, I mean, like, just because we're not taking it seriously, like, shit is about to hit the fan and get dramatically worse. Absolutely. Right. Um, let's see. You got another tweet ready? Um, oh, I just saw that, that tweet with the <laughs> approval rating you just said. Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, here's, here's one. It's uh, Trump goes, It's very important that we totally protect our Asian-American community in the United States and all around the world. They are amazing people, and the spreading of the virus is not their fault in any way, shape, or form. They are working closely with us to get rid of it. We will prevail together. That's actually kind of a responsible tweet. It's a little nice that he's uh, he's doing that. Although it didn't help that he did call it the China virus, and I would imagine the people then going out and committing hate crimes against Asians uh, are probably more likely to support Trump than not, would be my uh, my educated guess. Well, there's just so many ignorant people. It's like right after 9-11, right, when people went and beat up Sikhs because, uh, yeah. you know, they <laughs> wear turbans. turbans. So it's like, right. if you see someone in a turban, that doesn't mean they're even Muslim. Like. Sikhs are a yeah, you know northern totally Indian based religion. religion. Yeah, I mean it just shows it, like first off, if China did like fuck up royally, which they probably did, why would you hit some random Asian dude you see on the street? Like if he's in America living here, he's <laughs> probably not a Chinese agent spreading coronavirus. Right. He's probably just your neighbor from down the street. It's just Plus, so ignorant. Let's say- Let's say they are an agent and they have coronavirus on them or they have it themselves or something. <laughs> like, do you want to get really close and, and hit them? And, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, literally start fight maybe wrestle them on the ground and spit on each other or something like what's up with that thinking but it is kind of funny too how much like our foreign policy and global affairs kind of does i guess maybe not you know educate a lot of uh, kind of lower information americans but it certainly maybe gives them an awareness you know certainly like you know all these countries in the middle east that we never knew about until we started invading them and occupying them for you know two decades yeah <laughs> you you kind of learn things but it, i mean i mean it's it's that funny level of just kind of like ignorance that like you know, an Indian sheik person has nothing to do with like the Saudi Arabians, you know, you know, extremists, like Sunni extremists that hate America and then committed 9-11. But you're going to there's a guy with a turban. I'm just going to go beat him up. Like it's, yeah. it's 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 not good to laugh at because it's a terrible situation. But like just the level of ignorance is certainly deserving of mockery. Well, I think you have to have some degree of ignorance and, and just being dumb to want to hit someone in the street anyway. Like, that's not right. a smart thing to do anyway. Someone you don't know. Yeah. yeah, you don't see a lot of smart people getting into street fights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. 
Um, but imagine if Trump tweeted stuff like this more often. You know, hate crimes are on the rise. Hate groups are, you know, getting more and more members. The KKK is at a resurgence. Neo-Nazis certainly feel emboldened to go out in public and parade, you know, well, sometimes wearing Donald Trump-esque golf clothes well, like I mean, they you, did. You can't, in, ignore, uh, you can't ignore the fact that it's a good sentiment. And I, I'm, I'm hoping his staff is coming to him and telling him about problems. Like, you know, the president doesn't know someone got hit in the street, but it's good that the, the staff is going to him and saying we need to say something about this however you you know he's still the same guy who claimed he personally saw muslims cheering in the streets after 9-11 which was a complete pants on fire lie uh didn't take place didn't happen so it's like mm, trump is still kind of a moron yeah here's a good tweet trump in all quotes or sorry all caps says, we cannot let the cure be worse than the problem itself. At the end of the 15-day period, we will make a decision as to which way we want to go. All in caps lock. So you know he's really itching to end the quarantine after the 15-day period, which, of course, the 15-day period is relatively arbitrary, considering that right now the uh, quarantine efforts from a small handful of states are not actually slowing down the number of cases we get every day and um, not really helping the problem. So it's kind of arbitrary to say, okay, like, I don't know where we are in that 15-day period in Trump's mind, but I mean, like, how do you justify, you know, let's say in like a week and a half or whatever, if that's the end of the 15-day period and things have started to go exponentially bad for uh, the pandemic spread in America, you know, you're gonna, you know, again, he says, we can't let the cure be worse than the problem itself. And of course, to him, the cure would be, you know, the quarantine that keeps stock prices down and, you know, keeps hurting the economy. Well, it's a really uh, complicated and arbitrary number because 15 days is within, think of the life, the lifespan of an infection, right? You can get it and then not be symptomatic for days, right? So if you're talking about a 15 day period, you get it, you're unsymptomatic, you have it for a week, and then on top of that, you you can still pass it for like more than two weeks after you have it. Um, like, what about that? Says, yep, fifteen days, we're good. Nobody, it, all <laughs> things are you know fixed. All right, yeah. Um, here's one. Uh, Trump retweeted Senator Rand Paul. Um, This is a tweet from his staff, I guess, because it's in the third person. Senator Rand Paul has tested positive for COVID-19. He's feeling fine. He's in quarantine. He is uh, asymptomatic. He was tested out of an abundance of caution due to his extensive travel and events. He was not aware of any direct contact with any infected person, but a lot of people in the media are pointing out that, you know, he's been doing a lot of public things like going to Congress, sitting in the Senate, going to the gym and swimming in the pool um, and, you know, infecting who knows how many people. Apparently, he didn't didn't even tell his staff that he had gotten tested. Um, (laughs) So, I mean... Is that kind of like a perfect example of libertarian, fuck everybody but me, I don't give a shit? Kind of. Kind of a mentality? Not taking precautions, and on top of that, like, (laughs) it's just so, it's it's classic libertarian right there. Uh, I got a good one. Donald Trump retweeted Dan Scarvino, Scavino Jr., who actually tweeted something Trump said. It's a little video of his presser. It says, as long as I am your president, you can feel confident that you have a leader who will always fight for you. And I will not stop until we win. Man, until we win. Like, I don't know what about the Trump administration says win, uh, but the last two months has certainly not helped. (laughs) Right, yeah. Um, Yeah, I agree. 
Here's one, uh, another retweet of James Wood mocking, uh, or James Woods rather, mocking Joe Biden. And I, I don't really care what the tweet says, it's kind of stupid to repeat, but uh, it's an interesting idea because Joe Biden has been relatively quiet and hasn't been taught, you know, he's kind of been absent from the debate. What do you think about that? Like, I personally think that's kind of a strategic error. Uh, you know, Trump is literally tweeting about Joe Biden being stupid. And, you know, he's got a hashtag there, Wuhan, Wuhan coronavirus. So, I mean, he's kind of politicizing it right there. Obviously, Republicans will accuse Biden, if he says anything negative about Trump, of politicizing this pandemic. But, I mean, don't you think Joe Biden should be, like, everywhere right now? He's pretty much the presumptive nominee um, you know, it's very statistically likely that, you know, he's got a lock on the nomination. Shouldn't he be offering a, an opposing perspective or a viewpoint or, you know, a Democratic, you know, uh, mouthpiece, I guess you could say? I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, he hasn't been saying much. Hopefully he doesn't actually have coronavirus secretly. <laughs> um, oh, but, well, that's an idea. Yeah. Yeah. I have no that's idea. Um, um, but yeah, you would think he would. I don't know. It's, it's a weird situation. Like, you wouldn't be criticized. Like, let's say 9-11 happened right now. I don't think it would be appropriate to be criticizing Bush all day, every day, you know. I think to right. some degree, you know, they're just watching the administration. I mean, in a normal situation, the government should be doing its job regardless of who's president. And the president should be doing a job, you know, even though this one's not. But, I mean, puts Biden in a weird kind of spot. Yeah, but don't you think Biden should be at least saying, hey, this is what we need to do and what we should do and what I will do? I mean, oh, certainly I it's a good idea for that, him yeah. to be passing on, you know, maybe just, I mean, obviously Dr. Fauci would probably be more in line with a more progressive, proactive, um, you know, effort that Democrats would want rather than this. Uh, let's send everybody back to work ASAP to get stocks back up, you know? Yeah. I, so I don't know. I just think this is a missed opportunity. Biden's kind of like hidden from view right now. Um, it, I hopefully, hopefully that's not a bad indicator of Joe Biden's uh, of him taking like a laissez-faire, uh, you know, phoning it in kind of throughout the uh, throughout the campaign. Because I mean now, I mean Joe Biden's actually really, really lucky that he's won it. Pretty. I mean, we, I guess we can say he's won it. I mean, unless something drastic happens, um, he'll pretty much be the nominee. But way earlier than Obama or Hillary Clinton were in 2008 and 2016. Yeah. I mean, they were still fighting the primary into June. Yeah. So uh, Joe Biden has been super blessed with all of this time to, you know, really start setting um, you know, setting the tone and, uh, you know, painting Donald Trump a, a specific way. And I mean, not that you should politicize this virus, but I mean, certainly it would be politically advantageous to, you know, point out all of the things that Trump is, you know, I guess, objectively bungling and failing at right now. Right. True. I mean, yeah, you make some good points. I don't know why Biden's being quiet. Yeah, missed opportunity. Um, yeah. I, I have seen a lot of people like Bernie supporters think that, you know, like Biden will lose just the same as Hillary. They think that Biden is uh, just, you know, it, he's got all of the same politically liable votes that Hillary had. He's kind of like very centrist in a lot of ways when, the, you know, you know, the, the soul of the Democratic Party is maybe a little more to the left of Joe Biden's, you know, whole career in aggregate. 
However, you can't argue with the fact that, you know, Joe Biden's campaign right now is way more liberal than Obama's or Hillary's campaign were. I think those um, are just like, know. I think those are far left liberals just writing that shit. I mean, you can't say that the soul of the Democratic Party is to the left of the guy who's winning the nomination, right? <laughs> yeah, who's getting the most votes. Yeah, maybe right? it's the far left <laughs> saying that yeah. who's out of touch. That's true, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but again, I mean, you, you look at all of all of Biden's plans and policies, they're more liberal than Obama's were, you know, certainly America's further left on like gay marriage and things like that. And a lot of like social issues. But even in terms of economic plans, I think Joe Biden's like health care policies are, you know, obviously they are improvements on Obamacare. So they're kind of inherently more liberal than, you know, Obama's health care policies, for instance, well, even if they're not said- as liberal as Bernie's. Yeah, people have also said that Joe Biden was actually personally against giving the banks that sunk the economy a free ride. He wanted, uh, allegedly, he was actually for trying to uh, punish some of them and, and send right. some to jail who did you know the most egregious acts. So that's mm-hmm. pretty left wing since you know Obama didn't do anything like that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's be extent, interesting. Biden is no, to ahead. some extent just. A politician who's been around for decades, which inherently means he was probably behind the curve uh, by today's standards, you know, 40 years ago. That's not to say he wasn't a liberal then and he hasn't continued to be a liberal since and changed his views and updated them. Um, I mean, you take someone who was around in the 70s, they probably don't believe in gay marriage. Uh, That doesn't mean in 2020 they haven't changed their mind, but to go back 50 years or 30 years, whatever it is, and say you were wrong about this doesn't mean that they're still wrong about it or that, you know, they're not the liberal we want and need right now. Yeah, and I hate that there's such a lack of context in conversations like that. Like, a big thing with Biden is that he was friends with these segregationists. But, I mean, like, go back and look at the Senate in the 1970s. I am sure it was filled with a bunch of people who had been, you know, in Congress 20 years themselves and were, you know, you know, even, you know, they were uh, way more liberal in the 70s than they had been in the 40s or 50s when maybe a lot of those senators and, you know, representatives had taken office in the beginning. And granted, it's just, yeah, a lot of uh, Southern conservative states obviously probably had segregationist sympathizers. And let's say in the 70s that there were like 12 of them. And if if you're a senator like Joe Biden was back then, obviously you're going to work with your colleagues, even if by today's standards, they're especially kind of like, you know, morally grotesque, but everything in context, you know, it's like the Hillary got beat up so bad and, and Biden will be beat up as well, I'm sure, about his gun votes in the 90s. But like the context of the 90s were that like that was one of the biggest political issues of the day. Everyone agreed that crime was getting out of control and that the early 90s were the high point of violent crime in America. So, yes, did some of those crime bills maybe go too far, put too many people in prison? And uh, did they have uh, unforeseen negative consequences? Of course. But at the time, it was a bipartisan plan that Congress, you know, Congress, uh, members of Congress were literally elected based on their campaign pledges to do something about the gun violence and crime in America. So then to fast forward 30 years when you're saying, oh yeah, maybe we put too many people in prison, to then go back and say, oh look, he wanted that to happen back in the early 90s. They hated black people or racist. Like it's just, it's so stupid to like take the same context and just transplant that to a totally different context years ago. 
And uh, well, I don't know. What do you think? Is that just is that a liability for just you know politicians in general who stay in Congress forever and then run for president? Like certainly well, I mean, the way. Go no, ahead, it's totally yeah. a liability in the far left kind of uh, you know liberal media that a lot of people see today. Because I mean, you got to put things in context, right? The crime bill that they voted on was the crime bill that Congress came up with, and was probably the only crime bill that could have been passed, right? Anytime Congress makes a big sweeping bill, the only reason it's passed is because it barely swings by with enough votes, right? Um, right. And then even to get out of a committee to be a bill, I mean, it has to have compromises. And then on top of that, like, you know, the Joe Biden back then wasn't voting for that bill to put more black people in prison. He was voting for that bill because it's what Congress came up with and it was that or nothing. You know what I mean? So like, right. it's an unfair comparison or, I guess, uh, unfair characterization of, of Biden's beliefs and views, especially when they were 30 years ago. I mean, right. think of it in like, a totally different problem uh, kind of paradigm of holy shit, violent crime is spiking and has never been higher. And, you know, say what you will about the negative effects, you know, crime did peak in the early 90s and then start going downhill because of that bill. So, yeah, yeah it caused some other problems, but it also, you know, was pretty effective at solving the problem that the bill was intended to fix. Yeah. Granted that I mean, granted, you know, we should have done more to stop some of the uh, the negative effects of it in the years between 1993 or whenever we passed it. And then 2020. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, it's just kind of stupid, to, you know, especially for liberal politicians to kind of team kill their own Democratic candidates because they are not as extremely liberal as the most, quote, woke person on the far left. What's well, the yeah, <laughs> I mean, team kill is kind of like what you know the far left is doing to everybody who's not Bernie to some extent, right? Right. Um, I mean, what and that's, I hate that because Donald Trump will be not left at all. Donald Trump is a fascist who will get more fascist now that he survived a uh, impeachment attempt, and if he gets reelected and literally has four more years of doing whatever he wants and you know staying out of prison because he knows he'll go to prison for fraud if he stops being president, you know, like his mindset and his cartoonish fascist uh, character traits, you know, just. That's how is any Bernie supporter gonna really be happy uh, about Trump getting those four more years of increasing fascist mental instability and general, uh, you know, just incompetence? Like, how is that good for the America you want to happen via Bernie? You well, know? another thing is, think of the Supreme Court. Like, do you think Ruth uh, Ginsburg Bader is or is gonna, you know, hang on four more years? Like. She's probably going to have to retire at some point. She is old. So oh, to, yeah. to throw away your vote and and help Trump get reelected because your Democrat wasn't 100% of what you wanted, well, you're going to get negative 100% if Trump's reelected. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're not going to get 0% yeah, of Trump gets reelected and then starts... And then Trump puts his ICE detainment camps for immigrants into yeah. uh, housing uh, socialists. And <laughs> let's be real. He his, his enemies. Yeah, let's be real. Biden is a Democrat and he's liberal. So to say that you would rather get the opposite of anything you want compared to getting only 65% of what you want is kind of ludicrous. 
Right. And I'm super liberal. I voted for Bernie in the primary. I would have much rather have had Bernie face off against Donald Trump in 2016. But all of these Bernie supporters who are saying things like Joe Biden is just as bad as Trump or, you know, Joe Biden uh, will be worse than Trump because, you know, socialism will be set back even <laughs> yeah. more. It's like, no, you are being an idiot and you're butthurt about your your favorite candidate losing. But this is politics. It, you know, politics is a process of making sausage and passing it into a meat grinder of all kinds of compromises and special interests. And the outcome that you come or the outcome that you finally get in nominees and legislation and things like that, maybe not pretty, you know, maybe it's not uh, the most beautiful thing, the most pu- idealistically or ideologically pure thing for your taste. But that's politics and you have to deal with it. And it's a matter of getting some of what you want versus none of what you want. And it makes no sense for all of these Bernie supporters to hate the Democratic Party with such uh, such zeal because uh, the Democratic Party overall is slightly more moderate than uh, they would like. That's just team killing. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing nothing else to say about that. It's just team killing. Yeah. And nobody likes a team killer. <laughs> no one likes a team killer, right. Well, Here's like another a- good tweet. Uh, Donald Trump t- retweeted uh, Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell says, laid off workers cannot wait. Struggling Main Street businesses cannot wait. Our hospital and health centers cannot wait. This crisis is moving fast. The Senate is here. We are working and we need to deliver. So I want to really quick break this down because... <laughs> Uh, Mitch McConnell says laid off workers cannot wait, but he made a stupid bill that Democrats would not pass, right? Mm -hmm. Then he says struggling Main Street businesses cannot wait. His plan is not, how does that help Main Street businesses? And that's a dumb, it's like a dumb propaganda term that everyone's saying Main Street. Yeah, it's double speak. It's double speak because the bailouts are, you know, if Boeing and Delta and, you know, United Airlines get bailouts, how does that help anyone on Main Street anywhere? How does that help? Yeah. And then he says our hospitals and health centers cannot wait. Republicans hate hospitals and health centers. The only thing keeping especially rural hospitals and healthcare centers open was Obamacare. And Republicans have been trying to destroy it for, uh, you know, the better part of a decade now. You know, they tried to obstruct it. The only reason that Republican, uh, that conservative voters who vote Republican routinely have a hospital within like 200 miles of where they they live is because of Obamacare giving money to um, all of these uh, rural hospitals and stuff, and then the people who live there having access to a government well, plan that will give them health care. It's not just Obamacare; it's just government spending in general. Yeah, it's a whole host of liberal yeah. things, but you know, specifically in the last ten years, Obamacare has done more than anything else. Certainly, anything more than a re- you know a Republican policy has done to keep rural hospitals open. You know, it's funny. uh, Think about it this way. Think about it this way. All this money to go to these rural states, like, think of how much of that money comes from California. Like, how much money from poor red states literally just comes from a bigger blue state. California and New York lose money being in the union. Yeah. (laughs) It's like literally a bad business deal for them to stay with. It's like, you know, if like Walmart like took in a bunch of failing companies and was just constantly bailing out failing companies. Like if if you're if 
Yeah, let's if a uh, president actually governed like a businessman, he would cut out Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Idaho, oh, yeah. like all of these really red state point. poor third world uh, <laughs> yeah. states. If you ran it like a business, they'd be like, okay, sorry, you're bringing down our bottom line. You're a drain <laughs> on our resources. You need to go make your own country. You're no longer American. That's <laughs> hilarious. Well, another funny thing too is like think of everyone who complains about Greece and the European Union. You know, Greece constantly right. needs bailouts. They're having problems. They're not fixing their problems themselves well you know we have a lot of greases in america most of the yeah, south is yeah. greece and it's not it's not one time or two time bailouts when things it's, get really yeah. bad it's every fiscal year the american budget gives money from rich states to poor states so that the poor states don't go back into the you know developing world yeah. you know in, in many cases like states like mississippi and alabama already are developing world uh country uh, like states in many uh like health statistics uh things like that you know child mortality it's like the worst you know well, child if, mortality is a really strange one because think of it this way if you are super against uh you know abortion and you think all lives are precious you know what are, you know what do they always say like uh uh, um, all lives matter, right? Well, if you really <laughs> yeah. care about that, well, you know, yeah, you should care about abortion, but what about the state that has three times as many babies die than other states? Like, what are and they doing wrong? And it's wrong? been like that for like 15 years. Yeah. With no or, improvement. Yeah, or what if a state has its child mortality actually go up? You know what I mean? Like, instead of going right. down. What, like, should they call for the governor to be fired immediately? Yeah. Should he not be reelected? Right. Like, how is it pro-life for all of these red states to turn away free government money through Obamacare and Medicare expansions to, you know, take care of these pregnant women who then die and then the babies die? How is that pro-life to not give a shit because, back, you know, you're, you're pro-market, you know, on yeah. health care and things like that? It goes back to your, your earlier point because, yes, there are reasons, legitimate reasons, why some states have different child mortality. One of it is how rural it is, how urban it is, where the people live, how what are the medical providers like? like and where are they at but again a lot of states only have medical providers in rural areas because of things like obamacare medicare and big government spending mm-hmm um, that's a good point, and uh, I really think Democrats should heighten that. That it's just—it's so much of government policy uh, as championed by Republicans is not pro-life. It's not pro-families. You know, this bullshit term "main street." Like, what have, we we've talked about this before, but it's just Republicans in rural areas and poor rural areas have been ruining their lives voting straight Republican for like four decades. It makes no sense. Reagan didn't improve their lives; it made it worse. The debt got worse. Um, prosperity started going toward the, uh, you know, the upper elites and robber barons. And it's only been getting worse. George W. Bush didn't really do anything. He wrecked the economy and started the Great Recession. Only Democrats have gotten into, uh, you know, increasing, uh, you know, kind of medical uh, medical stats across America, expanding health insurance, you know, making regulations that your companies can't kill you at work or, you know, avoid paying you if you do get, you know, I mean, we could just literally go uh, for hours and hours on all the ways that Democrats, you know, want to help, especially poor people who, you know, probably disproportionately live in conservative rural areas. Well, I got and a perfect example for you. I have a perfect example for you. So on Highway 13 on the eastern shore of Virginia, when you're driving up kind of towards uh, uh, Philadelphia, uh, there's this tiny little town and it's just 
you, you drive right through like the center of this tiny little town and all the businesses are either boarded up and closed or look like they're struggling you know there's tons of literally abandoned dilapidated housing houses and barns and stuff right on the highway and in the middle of the, uh, the town there's a sign that says vote republican and it's like what have republicans done for that tiny little town in the last 50 years you know what i mean right you know without the federal money spending like if you have that much dilapidated housing uh, you're probably you know the, the odds are good that your county has a higher percentage of people on food stamps and other welfare than other counties and it's like who supports and and wants to pay for that welfare it's democrats you know who wants right. to help you know the government step in and help rural you know less developed areas of the country and bring them up to speed with the rest of the country it's democrats republicans would say we want to cut all that felt welfare we want to cut all that spending and we want to cut taxes it's like those poor people in tiny towns like that getting an extra eight hundred dollars um you know a year is not going to help them you know get to the next economic level or right run. And it's stupid because Republican plans are all about getting people more jobs. So they want to cut taxes so that rich companies can then hire more people, which yeah. one, they don't do. And two, it doesn't matter how many, if every American is employed, it still doesn't matter at all if they're getting poverty rates, right? It mm. doesn't matter if every American has a job, if they're paid so little that then the government has to give out food stamps to them and other, uh, you know, kind of like socialist safety net uh, kind of programs. It makes no sense for Republicans to only care about jobs as if if every American has a job, they'll have the dignity to have prosperity. But no, a lot of jobs do not treat their workers with dignity. Well, here's something for you. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I had a hiccup. You know, Republicans always say, you know, they criticize liberals as wanting to make slaves of people. They say, oh, we, liberals just want to get everyone on welfare so that they're liberal slaves. And it's like, wouldn't you be more of a slave if, like, you only, you get minimum wage of $7.50, never get a raise, and can't afford anything while inflation is making everything around you more expensive? Like, you're a slave right. to the shitty job <laughs> yeah. you have. Like you never said, get while ahead. 2% inflation goes up every yeah. year and you never make a pay increase, a wage increase. Meanwhile, Democrats yeah. want to raise minimum wage and increase your money. That's the only way you're going to get a raise. You know what I mean? If you're working for right. Walmart in a tiny little town, you're not going to get a raise unless the federal government government tells walmart you have to pay him you know more than eight right. eight dollars nine dollars ten dollars and it's not even and it's not even a really free market because on these small towns walmart came in and ruined every other store so there's not other jobs you can get walmart came in intentionally lost money on all of their products until all the stores around them went out of business which you know that's not really a good free market thing necessarily it's not really good for the free market when giant monolithic companies can intentionally lose money for an extended period of time to ruin <laughs> the actual free market yeah. And then, you know, it's the same thing with Amazon, like Amazon, Uber, Lyft, a lot of these digital companies, their mo business model is to lose money long enough where there's no longer competition and then you make money. And so it's not really free market when you're just being backed up by stock uh, valuations and people giving money to get those uh, profits when you eventually do become the monolithic uh, kind of, uh, you know, only company in town or the only company in your line of work doing things. That's not... 
That, I don't think that's really what free market enthusiasts mean. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't think that should be allowed. And certainly, like Jeff Bezos with Amazon being so big and taking over, now he's getting into like grocery stores, mm-hmm. and you know, he's kind of like uh, supplanting all these other industries that aren't just you know, like he started selling books, you know. But now that he's doing this in so many industries, what do you do with all of those workers who lost all those jobs and business owners who lost their businesses because they just can't compete with again a company that intentionally loses money to drive everybody else out of business like i mean certainly that's a person like uh, that needs higher taxes right the person yeah. intentionally losing money to destroy the rest yeah. of the american economy yeah. so that he's like the uh, the mono deity of you know you know american free for all capitalism yeah I mean, damn. No, I did say, I, I saw this thing interest, uh, this thing. It was talking about how uh, really much of our ethos about the economy is kind of like a relatively new modernist, like bullshit thing. Because it was talking about how, you know, Americans, we get like two weeks of vacation that most Americans don't even uh, use every year because they feel bad about taking time off and things like that. And it was saying how really, if you go back to like feudal, uh, you know, feudal peasants, that they had more holidays, more time off, that like, you know, after the harvest, they didn't really have to do that much work and they were always getting bigger celebrations and carnival, you know, developed from, you know, all of these peasants, you know, like getting mad and not really being good workers if they didn't get a lot of like, you know, I don't know, maybe like proto benefits or something you could call it. Like, well, you I have know, a lot of strong opinions on this. Lords. Yeah, go I have for a lot it. of strong opinions on this. The first off is that, like, first off, uh, people need vacation obviously to recharge, and the idea that. You know, it's a it's a terrible work culture we have in America where, you know, you have managers and, and CEOs and big level executives tweeting things like, well, if you're not prepared to work at home, well, you don't have what it takes to work for. And it's like, no, like, in, in my opinion, if you need to work from home or work on vacation or, you know, work outside of normal hours, it is a failure of leadership and management of the company. You know what I mean? If you have X amount of workers and you have X amount of work, it is your job as a manager to get that work done in a certain amount of time in a certain, you know, a normal amount of hours. If you constantly need all of your workers to come in overtime, work on their holidays or not take vacations, like that is an absolute failure of management on your part. Like you are part of the problem. You know what I mean? That's actually a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, think of it this way. I mean, a normal work week is 40 hours. If the person can't do it, you either need to talk to the worker and maybe see if they're somehow, you know, doing something inefficient or he needs help. And if you want that work done, you need to allocate more time resources and people you don't need people to you know work on their vacation or not take vacation because you couldn't manage <laughs> yeah, to get something right because essentially if you know an executive tells a manager i need x y and z done it's a manager's job to get it done without ruining people's vacations making them work overtime or you right. know keeping them from even wanting to take a vacation because they're so far behind if you're behind the manager's at fault not the worker you know what i mean right you know yeah. i'm not saying workers are perfect you know obviously sometimes people you know need a strong manager to tell them to work more efficiently or you know another thing a manager can do is just come up with efficient ways for people to do things faster so if you're always behind i mean that's just the whole point right the manager's job is to manage and get things done you know, in the way they're supposed to. I mean, it's just ludicrous to think as a culture, America, you know, you have Americans saying, oh, you know, taking a vacation is, you know, shows you're you're not committed to the company. It's like, well, it sounds like your company's poorly managed and sucks, you know? 
See, I think about that a lot when I go to Europe because you'll notice in Europe, like grocery store workers sit. Like if you go to the grocery store and you're checking out, the person like cashing you out or whatever and doing mm -hmm. the scanning and everything is sitting. Only in America, it seems, is that a thing where you're not working if you're sitting. And that like, you know, a menial, you know, a manual labor job of, you know, scanning all the items, bagging them up, and then, pay, you know, paying people out as a cashier. The fact that in America, they don't get, they have to stand, they're expected to stand for hours and hours. And, you know, a lot of, you know, especially like, you know, in general, like the ethos, if you got time to lean, you got time to clean, you know, like yeah. at restaurants or anything else. Like, that's so, it's so ridiculous. Or like, you know, if you're at an office job and you're checking Facebook just momentarily, like that, that now you have stolen from your company, you know, three minutes or 30 seconds or whatever it is to do anything, to take any personal, you know, have any aspect of a personal existence while at work, you're like stealing from the company when it's like, okay, maybe you can, uh, maybe you can take a call from your kids real quick while you're doing your fucking desk job at the computer. And <laughs> yeah. maybe, you know, maybe you don't have to be a sociopath and judge that person. Um, but yeah, it, it is ludicrous. Like we have this uh, culture of work in America that is not healthy. It's unrealistic, and it's like, frankly unnatural. You know, and that it's it always it uh, that that's that's like a big thing. I, I notice that everywhere now. Um, but uh, speaking of what you were talking about earlier, it's uh, I don't know if a lot of managers and companies do this uh, specifically. Um, but there actually is a market um, kind of, uh, I guess you could say, a market theology where I forget the exact term, but it's the idea that you should always be working slightly. Um, you should always be operating your business at slightly less than the uh, the the uh, max uh, like worker capacity. Uh -huh. So as in like restaurants are notorious for this, that at restaurants, you know, how many times do you have bad service? And it's just because you can tell that, oh, there's not enough workers here. Yeah. You know, oh, the restaurant got really busy and now there's like three servers taking like seven tables each. And obviously you can't serve. Is that is that the server's fault? Then you should punish them with a bad tip and then say, I'm never coming here again. Maybe Maybe. Mm -hmm. Okay, but the real problem is not the the server or whatever. Um, the problem is the manager that you know that it's literally an ethos that again I don't know if everybody knows it specifically, but certainly everybody seems to do it. Where it's like you take the max amount of workers that you should have to operate totally efficiently, and then you cut like two of them so that you can save that money and make a little higher profit margin. And then everyone's overworked, everyone gets stressed out and but frustrated, but company, you save right? a little bit. If you're cutting two, let's say waiters, right? What do waiters get paid an hour? $2.80 an hour, you know what I mean? Like, right. if, if that is putting your restaurant in, in, the, in the red, you know, what kind of restaurant are you running? <laughs> you know what I mean? That, you know, if you have two extra workers who can't work to save money, you're saving $5. Is that gonna sink yeah. your company? How, Plus, like, I, I think, yeah, I've worked in restaurants, like like four restaurants total, and you know, everyone is different, it has a different culture, but the one thing that I've noticed, and like when you go out to eat, I notice this all the time, is does the manager help out, 
like for instance, like one restaurant I worked at, when we got busy, the manager, the GM, right, of the mm-hmm. whole restaurant would get a bus tub and go help the busers bus all the tables efficiently and quickly to seat new tables and then take drinks to the tables, run food and things like that. And then I've worked at restaurants where the managers don't do anything but watch things burn, like crash and burn. And it's such a different thing. It's like that idea of like, I'm management, so I don't have to do anything, but all my workers have to t- work extra hard and you know ruin their you know sanity for the night you know it's just yeah. it's amazing that people have that mentality but like you know i've worked at places where the manager everything's going to shit and all the you know all the customers are unhappy but the manager still doesn't get involved and then it's like just blaming people you know insulting people saying you need to work harder this is your fault which you know, is failed like leadership not taking too. It. yeah failed, failed if you're a, lead- a manager sure. is inherently a leader and if you're blaming people underneath you it is your fault <laughs> you know right. what i mean not everything is people underneath you fall the same thing and i was going to say uh you know another thing that really irks me is when you know uh people like to say that if even if you're on vacation you should be available to work if something comes up and it's like you know if people let's say you have two weeks of vacation time a year right (coughs) so if you can't go a week without a worker there like what kind of company are you running you know what i mean if your worker is that important that you can't go a week or five business days without him there like what does that say about the manager what does that say about the company and you know what i mean like uh, right. like that one worker couldn't just tell one other coworker hey if this happens do this bye i'm going on vacation you know what i mean like I think of that like, you know, in the military, that's exactly how things are done. Like when, you know, it's not perfect, obviously, but if you're going on leave, like you will tell someone how to do what you do that's important so that when it happens, they can just call a number, they can ask someone, they can get something done uh, while you're on leave. Because when you're on leave, you're, you know, no one's going to call you and ask you to do something. So it's a very different culture, (laughs) which is funny because that's like the military and it's not what you'd expect, but like the, you know... I, I, I don't know. Uh, when I was on deployment, like, um, we were all reading these, like, leadership books written by, like, ex-Navy SEALs and admirals and stuff and old Navy captains, you know, some Army generals. And it's funny. It's like, you know, you have books like Extreme Ownership. And it's like, if you're going to, you know, really do something and do it right, like, you need to own, not just own it, but you need to, like, you know, have extreme ownership of it. And, like, if you're going to run a company that can't, you know, go with someone making $2.50 an hour, you know, is that going to sink your company or is someone taking vacation going to ruin your operations or you know your project like what kind of company is being run you know what i mean it's so right it's so perverse exactly. yeah i think about that all the time with the restaurant industry because if anything has uh, turned me into a uh, socialist sympathist uh or sympathizer i would say uh, it was working in restaurants and just seeing, you know, like, I mean, what's more free market than a restaurant where you don't even get a wage? You're literally getting <laughs> yeah. tipped. It's like you're getting donations. for your, You know, it's like charity. Literally, you're getting paid from charity. So which is really weird because uh, well, that's not the free market. If you think about it, that's not a capitalist system. You're not even getting paid for your work by your employer. You're getting paid <laughs> yeah, below right. the minimum. Wa- they made a law saying we can we can pay these people less than minimum wage. That's not capitalist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was in 1991, our year of birth. 1991 was the was when uh, the minimum wage for restaurant uh, like servers got disentangled from the regular minimum wage. So, <laughs> so weird. The, yeah, yeah. 
Um, well, anyway, uh, we're at about an hour and 23 minutes. I think my throat's starting to hurt from talking so much. Um, <laughs> you got any last thoughts? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> You got any uh, no, last thoughts for this podcast? Uh, no, I think we got a lot of uh, a lot of beefs out there. <laughs> yeah, good. a lot of beefs. Right. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, I'm Dash McIntyre once again. I'm Adrian Pope. And check out the Halfway Post. Uh, that's uh, my beloved satire website. I've been writing a lot during this coronavirus quarantine, and I hope it brings you as much enjoyment reading it as I get out of writing it and coming up with ridiculous things for Republicans. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy the guitar solo.